Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. It's crispy. It's cold. Where is the snow, Benny? Where it's on it? the way. Unfortunately, uh, well, it's a love hate for me because it's from. I'm from Alaska, so I miss it. Everyone around here in the Seattle area, they don't want it. <laughs> they can't drive in it. I, so I didn't know you were from Alaska. Yeah, we've talked about that. I, you know, I forget these little things. I'm really glad to hear it's that. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm from Pendleton, Oregon. Who knew? Letter Buck, right? For all my Pendleton <laughs> listeners. <laughs> We're all from we somewhere. Have, we had four seasons there. So, you know, I didn't mind winter so much. It didn't stick around here in Seattle. I don't mind a little bit of snow. It's just when it gets icy. We had know. two. Snow, cold. That's good. That was that was with one. And then mosquito yeah. season. Oh, mosquitoes. And that's in the summer. Yeah. So those are the two seasons. <laughs> yeah. In the Blue Mountains, we had mosquitoes. They'd carry you away. Anyway. Right? <laughs> no seams. We used to call those little no seams. You know, you'd get these bites. You'd be like, what is no, going on? Covered. Right. Anyway. Yeah. We're just, uh, I just have to connect with Benny Tall, my listeners. You know how that is. And uh, hopefully I'll be back in the studio before too long, yep. Benny. And mm-hmm. we'll say hi. Right. That kind of thing. Yep. Things are opening back up slowly, but efficiently. Yeah, they are. And Valentine's Day is this weekend. Yep. Big hug to you. Big Valentine's for you. me to you. Uh, I wore red and my heart <laughs> earrings for the YouTubers. Yeah, just because love is in the air. Right. right? <laughs> and don't forget, love I, love can be expressed 365 days a year. It doesn't have to be just the one. Thank you. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, clients who object to Valentine's Day because they say you should be doing this all the time. And uh, it, it can be a way of life. So anyway, I hope you're planning wonderful things. And, and giving love cards and, and love kisses to everybody because that's what we really need on planet Earth right now. That's right. And and my little heart thing, which I do on all my heart. Zoom calls because I'm Boop. Zooming a lot. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyway, yeah, we're at February 11th, I think we are. And uh, I'm Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis located right here in the greater Seattle area for the last 27 years and still going strong. I am available. You can find out about me at ReikiOasis.com and schedule everything at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. Thank you to Indigo Hawk, my amazing webmaster, for everything you do that I don't understand. And thank you so, so much. Um, I have some great things coming up. My monthly class with women, the Temple of Divine Feminine, will be Saturday, February 20th. We meet once a month, and this is really uh, kind of a support group for women. It's a, a way for us to get together and and do some um, lovely meditations and some sharing and and support each other. Especially, um, you know, it's been really important since uh, this last year when we haven't been able to meet in person. So please join us Saturday, February twentieth. I do have a Reiki two class coming up February twenty seventh, the last Saturday of this month. You have to have taken Reiki 1 to study Reiki 2. That's the way it works. And so if you're interested, just shoot me an email at ReikiOasis at gmail.com, and I'll, I'll let you know all about that. And you can find that on the scheduler. Every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can have a Sunday meditation with Loretta. This is just a little check-in. 
Um, we've been, as you all may or may not know, I'm a mental health counselor for the state of Washington, as well as a Reiki practitioner and um, a, a, a clinical hypnotherapist and, and an energy worker and a woo-woo girl. And we combine everything together in order to try to help you find that place of peace within you. So I just started offering the meditations, I think back in April, and they're well received. If you cannot come at 11 a.m. on Sunday at Pacific Standard Time, uh, just sign up for it anyway. Let me know, and I will send you the meditation so that you can listen to it at your leisure. And the whole idea is just to provide some extra support. Very quickly, I want to take a look at the sky weather, the star weather called astrology. I mentioned last week we're currently experiencing something called the Aquarian Stellium. I want to say that quick 10 times. Aquarian Stellium. It's really hard. But anytime for only or one, I thought planets. you were going to do more than that. I was, I was anticipating. <laughs> I got my tongue tied. <laughs> <laughs> but anytime four or more planets are lined up in an astrological sign, it's called a stellium. And this magnifies and merges all the energies from the planets. So we actually have six planets lined up in Aquarius right now. Six and two asteroids. So what are the planets? Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, the sun, and the moon. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot of energy. And the asteroids are Chirico and Pallas Athena. And all of this energy might be making some of you feeling a little edgy, a little irritable, a little agitated, a little bit like, you know, because it's air energy. It's all mixed up together. And I'm always telling people, be careful. Don't blow. Right. Watch out. Pele can do that for us. Right. But calm yourself down so that remember we're greater than the stars. And astrology is simply a way to take a look at the energetic weather. And, you know, if it's snowing outside and you know it's snowing, well, you know, unless you have some kind of metabolic thing going on, you're not going to wear your flip-flops and your shorts outside, right? So it's good to just take a look at the stars and say, well, what's going on? How could it affect me? And what can I do? And I always recommend that you be gentle with yourself and others. Remember that your emotions are just navigational tools. They are not who you really are. So let's try to keep our vibration high right now. And we can help each other with that, by the way, because that's Aquarian energy. Aquarius wants us to help each other. So as well as the stellium, we have a new moon in Aquarius today, February 11th, which will strongly activate the energies of this stellium to a global level. So just pay attention to the global stage as well as the personal stage. There are things going on, many, many things that are trying to aim us in the direction of doing things differently. I can't remember who it was that said, if you don't remember the past, you will repeat the past. It's something like that. And we're going to really talk about that with my guest today. And then also, um, I already said happy Valentine's Day. Please love on each other and do it gracefully and wonderfully. And to all my listeners celebrating Chinese New Year and uh, welcome. Happy Chinese New Year. It happens, I think, tomorrow the 12th maybe tonight maybe tomorrow night somewhere in there welcome to the year of the yin metal ox yin is a feminine energy so it won't be quite so harsh even though it's associated with metal and um i'm not a chinese astrologer so don't <laughs> don't hold me too accountable but 
The ox is the second sign in the Chinese zodiac. It's traditionally a year for consolidating and building a steady foundation. The ox is strong. It's steady. It will just keep going. And its tempo will be very different than last year, which was the year of the rat. And um, don't, don't beat up on the year of the rat, right? The year of the rat just means that it, it's a, it was the first sign of the Chinese zodiac and it was here to bring change. And it certainly has done that. So um, the ox energy is also gonna help us in the areas of money flow, abundance, and yay, creativity, which all that Aquarian energy is asking us to activate anyway. So it's a great year to get organized and kind of take a breath. You know, I feel like the house got demolished. We're gonna take a look at the rubble and we're gonna really decide what we need to keep and what we need to let go of. And we also wanna make sure that we don't have weeds growing up in the middle of what's coming up. So we are active co-creators. We're being called to be our best selves now. So love to you all, happy Valentine's Day. That's my opening. And now I can't wait to get to my guest. Hoo-hoo! One more loving on Benny Mathers, my amazing producer, who makes Aww. me sound and look good. Oh, thank always. you. Big heart. You. Back to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to all the listeners, gratitude from my heart. I am a listener-supported show. And if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Loretta Brown Show. And remember... These shows are archived. They're on podcasts all over the place. They're on YouTube. There's probably, there's hundreds of shows. And if you want to, you can just put them on and listen to them one after another, like my daughter does sometimes when somehow she hasn't gotten enough of my voice. I don't know. That's how it goes. Anyway, I'm so glad to have my wonderful guest. Um, I have a little of an intro to bring it in because we're actually addressing some what might be pretty heavy content for today, and it's, it, it really needs to be addressed. January 27th was International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and that's a day that is set aside to remember the nearly 6 million Jews and 5 million others who perished in the Holocaust. Many of you may or not be aware that part of this attempt at racial purity involved the Nazi uh, 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 slaughter, I guess is the right word, of those people with physical or mental disabilities in what they called the T4 or euthanasia program. Uh, sometimes this was called disinfecting. My guest today, Sylvia True, is the author of Where Madness Lies, a book based on her own grandmother's experiences in Nazi Germany. It's a very powerful book. It addresses mental health, human survival, paranormal experiences, and the secrets that families keep, sometimes for all the right reasons and sometimes for all the wrong reasons. The book ties together the events of 1934 Germany and events from 1984 United States in a story of hope and redemption about what we pass on both genetically and culturally, culturally and it's about the high price of repression and how one woman who lost nearly everything had to be willing to reveal the failures of the past to save future generations. My guest, Sylvia True, the author, was born in England to parents who were refugees from Germany. She moved to the U.S. when she was five. She happens to be a grandmother. 
She presently, who knew? Who present? She presently lives in Massachusetts with her husband and apparently two very spoiled dogs. Hmm. And she's a high school chemistry teacher. Welcome to the show, Sylvia. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> a grandmother to... and dogs. <laughs> well, the important things, right? Grandchildren and dogs. You know, um, I absolutely loved your book. For my YouTubers, I'm going to show them a, just a printout of the co cover. Oh, thank you. Where Madness Lies. And, and there are the two girls right there. Um, the story is based in fact and with some weaving of uh, excellent storytelling around it in order to bring it to us. So we're riveted and we have to stay up all night because we have to finish it. What's going to happen, right? So I, I really loved your book. Thank you so much for oh, um, having the courage to write it, you know, having the courage to write. It's a very revealing book. Um, can you tell the listening audience just a little bit about yourself and, and what, what led you to write this book and, and at this time? So a little bit about me to start with. The book is based on things that happened in my family. Um, my grandmother and my mother actually were both born in Germany in Frankfurt. And in the 1930s, my grandmother's sister, uh, her name was Rigmore and I, that's the one name I actually stuck with. Um, she was mentally ill and it's not clear to me exactly what she had. Eventually she was diagnosed with um, schizophrenia, but it was an overused diagnosis then you know, from the little bit I know of her symptoms, it, it sounds much more like a, a depression with some psychotic tendencies. Um, so my grandmother did everything she could to try to save her sister, but it was a terrible time. And as you brought up, I mean, there were the issues of eugenics and sterilization and eventually euthanasia. So my grandmother moved, uh, fled really to Switzerland and really shut down that part of her life. You know, it was too painful. And in a way she became a kind of controlling person because, and I think you'll understand this. I mean, when there's so much out of your control, sometimes you go to this place of needing control to control maybe some of the little things. For example, every clock in our house was set to go off at the exact same second every day, right? And not that that's, terribly unusual, but it's just a sign of being able to control because so much was out of her control. Anyway, all of thing, the things that happened in Germany were kept a huge secret. And I was brought up in a family, mostly in the States, but with European um, parents, where we had to hide, we had to pretend. We, we could never seem weak. You know, it was shameful. I was always told to pull up my socks. You know, I was told I was oversensitive, which we now hopefully look at as something that's a good thing, not a terrible thing. But basically it was hide, 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 never show your weakness, certainly never show any signs of mental illness. Now I knew for many years that, I guess I felt like I wasn't normal and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know why. And I wasn't allowed to talk about that. And I also felt like, I was sort of on a tightrope about to fall off. And then in my 20s, around 24, 25, things definitely were declining for me. And 
I just, I didn't know how, I didn't know what to do. And I had no, nowhere to turn, no one to talk to. So I decided, well, I know what's going to fix all this. I'll have a baby. Well, <laughs> babies. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, right? Now, obviously, babies are the most wonderful thing in the world. And obviously, no regrets at all. But I had a baby and I got worse, all right? Because then I had a postpartum depression on top of probably a lifelong depression. And I ended up in a mental hospital. And part of the story is also about that. And I do reveal quite a lot and I'm very open about it. And there are reasons for that. We can talk about that later. Yes. Anyway, mm -hmm. I ended up in uh, a, a really well-known hospital called McLean. It's outside of Boston here. And really it was honestly the best gift and the best education I ever got in my life because I was finally able to get better. Now my grandmother and my mother helped me tremendously during this time. Initially, they couldn't talk to me. They were too, they were too freaked out, too scared, uh, which of course made me more frightened. I mean, and when you go into a mental hospital, I mean, one of the first things all the doctors ask you is, is there any mental illness in your family? I was like, no, absolutely not. I am the weak link. I am the black sheep. You know, I am ashamed, whatever. That's what it felt like. It, that's what it, it was in a way slowly my grandmother revealed the secrets and i love what you said at the beginning like some secrets are meant to be shared and some probably not but anyway the revealing of her particular secret of what happened in nazi germany set me free in a way all right first of all i wasn't alone i wasn't the only one and you know that was that was huge for me you know it took away so much of the shame and it also taught me where so much of my family's fear and anxiety and mm -hmm. hiding came from. Mm -hmm. And as you know, like repression, it, it, it can boil up and lead to, to really, to, to a lot of anxiety, I think, and fear. And I think that's what happened in my family. And my grandmother being able to reveal the past and being able to be open really helped not just me, but helped my whole family. You know, it was, a, it was a way to get out of the woods, sort of. Well, that was a long answer. Sorry. Oh, no, you you please feel free to, to say whatever you need to say, right? Um, because this is your voice talking, and it's authentic and true. And um, we, we need to open the door into this realm. I think we do. There's so much in what you said. Um, many, many families carry shame around mental health or mental illness, right? Um, special needs or deformities, um, alcoholism, abuse, right? Of all natures. And many, many times, as we say, these are, are, are families' dirty little secrets, but there's also something else here. And um, I just wanna point it out and we can go any direction that, that we're carried in this interview, but, um, I was talking to, it might've been uh, Irvin Laszlo or Amit Goswami, one of my quantum physicists guests, we were talking about the passage of ancestral wounds that they don't even need to be spoken, that somehow through the quantum field, like they'll be passed generation to generation to generation. And, um, you know, not to get churchy on people, but in the Bible, it talks about the, the passage of the sins to seven generations. And I, I don't mean to call these sins, it's just a, 
a, a quantifying word, right? But this idea of ancestral healing, that as you heal yourself, you're actually healing a lineage. And that really struck me as I was reading your book, that the healing that has come out of writing this book. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, the healing for me and for my family, but I, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. These things, they heal hopefully for generations. And one of the things that I learned, obviously, well, not obviously, but when I was in McLean, you know, was how to actually be the mother I wanted to be. And, you know, I, I might've gone a step too far and being a little bit too open, but whatever. I mean, I think my daughters appreciate it. Um, I remember in college, actually, I was a chemistry major and I always did well in chemistry. And one of my, the head of the department and one of my professors who I loved, um, you know, I just finished a test and it didn't take me very long and I figured I failed it, you know? And of course I got it all right. And he suggested that I, I seek some help. I mean, he understood that there was something not right in my self-confidence or whatever. And I thought, okay, that makes sense, I guess. So I went home and I told my mother that this chemistry professor suggested I need counseling. And my mother was a warm and, and generous kind woman. And when she heard me say that, she literally slammed the door in my face and said, no child of mine shall ever see one of those people. And, you know, obviously I had known that without it being said for many, many years, right? But that like confirmed everything. And I wasn't, and I didn't seek help then. Now my daughters both did inherit some depression and anxiety. One of my eldest daughters is more on the, side of my younger daughters more on the anxiety side. I was lucky I got both. Um, but anyway, when my oldest daughters started showing signs of depression around 14, I, I think, um, I mean, I called in all the help, right? I went to the psych, you know, she got a psychiatrist, a psychologist, and of course a psychic, right? Because you need all three. And I think that was huge in my family that this cycle of hiding and shame around mental illness was broken and right. being also being a teacher it's really important to me and i know i'm a chemistry teacher but i'm more than just chemistry teacher mm -hmm. um it's more it's really important that students understand that there isn't shame around this and i know we've come a long way obviously since nazi germany but there's still stigma and that you, you get rid of that by talking yeah. and by being open and by like, oh yeah, I'm on Prozac too. You know, that sometimes the kids might say that. And, you know, by the way, I'm not pushing medication here at oh. all. I'm just, just, <laughs> okay. just so you know, I'm just, it's just an openness and acceptance of that, you know, we all carry things, right? And um, things we're ashamed of, even not mental illness, whatever it may be. And the shame can kill you. I think shame is one of the most um, destructive emotions. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I call it the shame, blame, or guilt game, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Where uh, I, I so agree with you, and it's it, one of the reasons I'm thrilled you have your book out there, because it can start dialogues. Um, we just need to dialogue about it. We just need to be able to say, 
I'm having this thing or like in your book, you know, one of your main characters is, is making spaghetti and suddenly she thinks it's maggots, right? You know, she's having a, a psychotic episode and um, people experience these things and they don't know who to talk to or they're afraid to say it because people will think they're quote unquote crazy, right? right? So we look at mental illness, I think in a, in a very twisted, bizarre sort of a way People don't have any problem saying, well, I'm physically ill, right? In fact, people talk about it all the time. Like, how are you doing? Well, here's my list of, you know, groans and aches and pains, right? But for mental illness, when we say, how are you doing? You know, sometimes people will say, well, I'm kind of anxious or I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, you know, off or whatever. But we don't really go into it. You know, it's like it's not okay to say, well, I woke up in the middle of the night and thought, you know, something was crawling on me, right? Right, right. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. I love that. Like we yeah. don't, we will go on and on about our physical stuff and, you know, we'll try, not everybody, but we try to hide yeah. some of the mental stuff that, that does need to be shared. And you also brought out, you know, what I call uh, like your grandmother becoming very controlling, like with the clocks or whatnot. And, and you're absolutely right. When there's something inside us, we can't control. We're going to reach for that outside. I sometimes call that coping mechanisms, but you know, coping mechanisms can turn into things like cutting yourself or, right. or, or some sort of self-destructive behavior. And, and you don't want people to know about it because you don't want people to really know what's going on. So I, I just want to say, cause I'm a real um, proponent of people getting help. You know, there's a lot of help out there and to get help. So your story of, you know, having a baby and then ending up in a, in a mental hospital and how that helped you, I think is just inspiring. It really right. is. Yeah. I mean, it really was like the biggest gift and the best education I ever got. And I think that I was also really fortunate. It, you know, timing is so much alike, right? Yes. And when I ended up there, I ended up with a wonderful psychiatrist. And I, I actually went through psychoanalysis, which people don't do anymore. Five days a week for years, I went to therapy. You know, I probably had, I, it's sometimes like I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I actually did that, you know. Um, but what a gift it was. You know, and, and what I, I was able to, it's weird. One of the things I was also able to do therapy is my mother was still had a lot of shame, right? But she was very interested in the therapeutic process, but she would never go. So I ended up sort of doing therapy for her and with her. Like she would talk to me for a couple hours every day. This was after I got out of McLean and I was much better. And then I would bring that to my psychiatrist who would comment on it and I would bring it back to my mother. So it, it was really this, when I look back, it's just an amazing experience um, to bring the whole family out of the fear and the shame that they had li lived in for understandable reasons. I mean, because of what they went through. But. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally understandable. So we're going to take a little station break, Mr. Benny, and this is Loretta Brown. My guest today, Sylvia True, her book, Where Madness Lies, is really an excellent read, a mix of nonfiction and fiction. 
into a story that will just really lead you through, especially if you have people in your family with depression, anxiety, mental illness, or you just want to read about it. So don't go away. When we get back, we're going to really get into the book a little bit more. And uh, we'll be right back. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. We always have to have little dance breaks, people. Um, I do it all day long. Like, you know, I've been doing a lot of Zoom calls since COVID, and I, I, every once in a while in between, I, ju- I get up and I do 10 jumping jacks and dance, and then I'm back. <laughs> it's like a boxer, like swish and spit, tape up, and back we come. Anyway, um, I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis. I'm Loretta Brown. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com and the KKNW 1150 AM archives. My guest, Sylvia True, her book, Where Madness Lies. Where Madness Lies. What an interesting title for your book. Where, how did you come up with that? Because it's a play on word with the lies in there. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is. It, yeah. it has multiple meanings. Um, you know, it's a book that does deal with mental health, but that's certainly not the only thing it deals with. It also deals with the Nazis and repression. And the question is, you know, where is the madness really? And I remember when I was in the plane, we used to um, say, you know, it's, it's the people that are in the hospital are the patients or the nuts, all right? The patients are there generally because it could be biological, but a lot of times the patients are there because somebody did something pretty awful so that they ended up there. And, and the nuts, in our, as we refer to them, were, were the workers and the doctors and the nurses. And the <laughs> yes. And the nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, the history of how they have treated people with mental illness is really sort of horrible right? You know, like in the middle ages, they thought it was demon possession or curses or witches or something, right? And the treatments were really inhuman, right? But I want to, I want to get into your book a little bit. So I want you to talk about the Nazis. How did they treat mental health 
issues. And what is what is eugenics? What is euthanasia, sterilization? Could you get into that just a little bit? I think people need to hear it. Yeah, sure. Just great light topics. For, no. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, you know, everybody out there, just get your coffee, your cocoa, whatever. <laughs> Snuggle up next to a fire and let's talk about that. Right. I know. Do a few dances. No, anyway, sorry. Um, it's it's heart talk. It's deep yeah, heart talk. No. Yeah. So in in a just a tiny bit of history, uh, in 1888, Sarah Francis uh, Galton came up with the term eugenics, and it was purely biological, and it just is race cleansing, basically, to get rid of diseases. And I don't think it was looked at as anything. Now the word is often tied to the Nazis, but at that point it was it was really viewed in a more scientific way. You know, how do we how do we get rid of diseases? I mean, we're looking at that right now, right? How do we get rid of COVID? I mean, that's that's that was the idea. And there were eugenic societies all over the world. And one of the main ways, not one I agree with, but just for sure, was sterilization. And so there were a lot of countries um, doing sterilizations of the ill, physical, and mental, and the alcoholics. And the idea was then if we, you know, stop the genetics, you know, we can stop these diseases from reoccurring. I mean, in, in America was ahead of Germany um, initially. But in 1933, the Germans came up with their sterilization law. And again, these, this included all mental illnesses. Feeble-mindedness was the biggest one. And that's a whole range of- Feeble-mindedness. Feeble-mindedness. And that was cited in the, you know, the American Psychiatric Journal as well. Like I have a quote, I know I have a quote from that in my book. So again, it wasn't just the Germans who believed in this and feeble-mindedness was, a whole spectrum of things, you know, there was schizophrenia, there was congenital deafness and blindness and even alcoholism. And so between 34 and 39, 1934 and 1939, around 400,000 people were sterilized and um, in Germany. Now, was this just in the, the mental health um, facilities or was this uh, No, it could be in... It, it could be in, you could have it in a regular hospital. It didn't have to be, you didn't have to be in a mental hospital. Okay. But a doctor would decide, like, that's what you needed. It Got was it. more in the mental hospitals, though. And then that then became, that led to the euthanasia program, which was obviously the, you know, the murder, I call it murder, of many of the mental patients. There were six uh, major mental institutions in Germany who that built gas chambers in their mental hospitals. And the doctors who built those gas chambers in the mental hospitals were the same doctors who then built them in concentration camps. So basically this, if you look at the history of what happened to the mentally ill in Germany, it was the Nazis opening act because everything they learned and did in the mental hospitals was then carried over and done in the gas chambers in the in the concentration camps. So it's a piece that is less well known. Um, and it, it did happen to my aunt, my great aunt. And um, 
it, it's a, it was horrible. And I think then, you know, comes the fear from my grandmother, and this is what was passed on, of not being perfect, right? Because if you're not perfect, uh, yes. you're going to go to a mental hospital and probably not survive, um, which is what terrified my mother um, when I went in. I mean, she, just, she couldn't even speak to me initially. It was just, it was too painful. So you grew up not knowing any of this history? No, I did not. I knew that. So it's so mm. interesting because many people who fled from Germany at that time, yeah. they did not, they don't talk about it. And right. Mm -hmm. so I absolutely knew my parents had left Germany. They didn't use the word fled. Um, if you, my father's family was also in the, from the same town, Frankfurt, in that my mother's was. And if you would ask my father, who died actually a year ago today, um, I just realized it's been oh, very long. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, he's there. Yeah. He's, oh. he's helping. Okay. And if you asked him about his childhood, he would tell you it was wonderful. Now, I eventually learned that wasn't true, that, that he was, you know, beaten pretty badly and his glasses were smashed and he was failed. He was a theoretical nuclear physicist, right? They failed him in all his classes because he was Jewish. And, um, but if you would ask him, oh yeah, that, he had a great childhood. And it's just so interesting what wasn't talked about. And then eventually was, my father never really talked about it much. It was still, it was just, he just, it, it all came out in different ways. He yelled and he screamed at us all the time. And yeah. you know that's, it was a kind of a, you know, from PTSD. Yes. Right. So, I don't know, anyway. Well, and I also think, cause I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, my mother and my grandmother, you know, there was a certain amount of, we don't talk about this, right? These things go over here in this little right. box and we carry on. That's what you do. You know, you, you're stoic, you reach in and lift yourself up and on you go, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And that was, that was huge in my family. So um, I understand that your grandfather was, Anne, uh, was the doctor for Anne Frank's family. So my grandfather, my father's side, who was this incredibly kind um, and caring man. He was the doctor for the whole family before they fled to Amsterdam. And my grandfather had a really hard time with believing any of this was going to happen. And his cousin literally pushed him on one of the last trains out. He did not ever believe that humans were going to go down the path and be and be what they, they became. And yeah. luckily he had a cousin who pushed him out, but his not his some of his sisters did not make it out. And he went to England and and they the Germans stripped him of his medical degree and he had to get a new medical degree. He got it in Scotland and then he did practice in England. Wow. Yeah. I think that the um, erosion of it in or it's it's the way that everything slid in, you know, like when you look at history, it's like, yeah, we do need to kind of pay attention, um, you know, because as I said earlier, history has a tendency to repeat itself if we're not paying attention. Right? Well, right. Yeah. And, and looking at it's scary because we don't want, I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm as kind hearted maybe as my grandfather, but <laughs> I do not, 
I mean, maybe, I hope I am kind hearted. Maybe you are. (laughs) I, you don't want to believe that humans can do this to each other. So it's like, even if the things that are going on in our country, you're like, yeah, but they wouldn't really have gone in and killed people in the Capitol. And, you know, we don't want to believe, or I don't want to believe that. It's just, you know, we want to believe we actually care about each other. And a lot of the message in this book is, is it, it's about listening to the other person and understanding. And both the grandmother, my grandmother, and I had troubles with my grandmother. She was very strict. She, she wanted me to look perfect. She hated my hair. It was too frizzy. I mean, I can't even tell you the things that she said about my hair, right? My nose was too broad. Like, I, it's unbelievable. But, you know, I, I had real issues with her and she had issues with me because I, on some level, reminded her of Rigmore, but I didn't know that. And um, so part of the, the storyline in the book is these two characters really beginning to open up to each other and understand each other and then finally have empathy. And I think most importantly, understand where the other's fears came from. And I think I see that all around us today. Like we're in a, in a difficult time. We're in a time where we're pointing fingers, where you know we have one side against the other side, but there are more than one sides. And we need to stop and listen to each other and understand that where the other is coming from and especially where their fears are coming from because I think that leads to so much of the anger like what are you frightened of and then we can begin maybe to heal and through that empathy we can that really allows us to feel love and to me that as cheesy as that sounds that is still the most important thing is is love on Valentine's Day (laughs) every day of the year Valentine's Day which happens every day of the year. Yes. Um, I so agree with you because, you know, our fear can shut us down, right? To where we're, we're just afraid. And right. we're often afraid that of people who have different, different ideas than us or in, in your book, like it's so clearly brought out. And I run into this all the time, how we don't understand someone like your grandmother, like you say, was pretty stern or the way she right. was. And she wanted you to be perfect. And, until you understand the backstory, right, and how she got there, it might be very hard to um, love her or have compassion or even understand why she was that way. I'd be like, oh my gosh, she's just always on me, you know, right. get off right. me, right? right. Until right. you begin to realize uh, the deeper layers. So yeah, this ability to have compassionate listening or hearing each other or taking a moment. And I always tell people, just keep breathing when people are talking. Don't attack them. <laughs> just, just keep breathing and try to hear what they have to say, right? And maybe we can move forward in a different way because we do need to heal the wounds. Our woundedness, which is actually a result of the woundedness of our parents or our grandparents or or right. the people around us or our, our world. Um, the, the cover of your book has a picture. I'm just showing this again because I love this. It's so sweet, these pictures in your book. Um, this is your grandmother. Correct. And, and this is her sister, Rigmore. So this is an actual picture. Um, uh, now, I know that Rigmore's name is the actual name. Is, is Inga no. the name of no. your? 
Okay, yeah. so the rest of the names are fictional because you're in this book too. Right, right. I'm Sabine. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say your name is Sabine in the book, right? right? And I think your daughter's in this book, and and yes. and yes, and perhaps a, a I don't know if if Dr. Richter I don't know if he's fictionalized or or a, a composite character. He was more of a comp he was the most fictionalized just because I you know. I didn't know much about their family doctor, um, although they definitely had one. And I also used him as a way to get in a little bit more of the history, you know, so people understand what happened in Germany at that time. You know, you when you're writing a novel, you want to do it through characters in action. You don't want to do a, a lecture. So, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. you know. um, so for the for the listeners, in order to not not give everything away. What happened to Rigmore? What do you want people to know so that they will be like, I've got to go read that? Um, so a lot happened to her. Yes, she, she did. She uh, ended up in a, in a mental institution. And because of the laws in Germany at the time, um, she, you know, was I don't know, checked off to be sterilized. And eventually, you know, she was, you know, she was going to be killed. Yeah. I think your book so clearly um, follows her story and the stories of those around her. And also, because uh, you call your grandmother Inga in the book, her, her desire to help um, like I say, for all, all of the listeners, we can all find our place in this book, like we're in this book too. If we have loved ones or if we ourselves are suffering from mental illness of some kind. You also said something about the fact that schizophrenia was an overused diagnosis at that time, and probably it was depression with psychosis, right, which is very different than schizophrenia. And this feeble-minded thing I'm not even quite sure what feeble-minded is. Um, somebody once upon a time sent me this horrible list called Reasons for Admission to an Insane Asylum from 1864 to 1889. It's a big, long list. And it has very bizarre things like hysteria. What is hysteria? I'm hysterical sometimes. I hate to tell you that, right? Laziness, um, novel reading, <laughs> asthma, <laughs> keeping bad company. Oh, yeah. I... I think I, yeah, I think I've seen this list. Actually, yeah, this is an outrageous list. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> you can look it up if you want to, but my point is, we've come a long way, and uh, in the treatment of mental illness, and I'm so glad to hear that. Now, I want to I want to jump real quick because I'm I'm watching our time, and I want to cover this. You uh, bring out in the book that there is someone in the um, that is seeing. Um, uh, the, how do I say this? She has visions. Uh, she has visions, and and I I have this bad joke that I say I'm a psychic, not psychotic. So where is that thin line in there? Because you know people do have hallucinations, and right. then there is actual true paranormal activity. Right. Yeah. So it, it's. It's a, it's a huge passion of mine, the, my journey into the paranormal. And, you know, some people wonder, well, why would this be in the book? And it's not, it's not a, a big part of the book, but yeah. in my mind, it's an important part because there is a character 
who was psychic and she also um, can see spirit. And she does see Rigmore um, behind my grandmother and has a clear vision of her. And it, it was important for me to put her in for a number of different reasons. One is because I do absolutely believe we're all connected, whether we're on this side or the other side, you know, we're still connected. And, and that was important. And it also pushes against this closed mindedness of my grandmother. And right. I, one of my favorite sayings is only a closed mind is certain, right? <laughs> you need to have an open mind. And it, it, it makes the grandmother open up or begin to open up. And I remember it wasn't until after I got out of McLean that McLean was, as I've said, huge education. Then after I got out of McLean, I met somebody whose mother was a psychic. And I was like, yeah, that's total, no, nonsense. We don't believe in that. My whole family is ridiculously scientific. But I was curious. I had just enough of an openness to say, you know what? I want to learn more. So I went to her. I was blown away. She became my psychic for 30 years. I mean, she also died about a year ago. And she was just the most amazing woman. And um, that openness to that has led me to so many other paths and it was an important it's an important part of the book because it's all about being being willing to be open you know and that pushed my grandmother a little yeah i bet it did i i'm a very curious person and i think you are too like a, a master of many things or, or a, right. whatever they say, right, like a master of none, right? Um, but I also know, because I'm looking at your beautiful um, hanging behind you that looks like the rainforest frog, you know, and I know it you is. go to the rainforest. So you're a, you're a seeker of things beyond the known, if I could say Absolutely. that. Yes, I am mm -hmm. extraordinarily curious. Yeah. There is, in many ways, nothing more important, I think, in life. Um, whether it's curious about the intellectual, the emotional, the paranormal, the jungle, um, it, it does. It, I'm never bored. <laughs> it's wonderful. Like I always want to know 18 million things that I, I can't possibly fit them all in. Yeah. Well, there are so many things that we, we possibly theorize about, you know, and do we know for sure? I, I, I love to explore the edge of that and right, especially right. the edge of consciousness. Like right. how does the brain work? My uh, brain scientist friend, Pete Sanders says our brain is wired for it to be intuitive. It's yes. wired for it. And um, uh, a lot of people are blending science and spirituality right now. It's sort of the new thing and, and, and activating intuition, right? right. So um, I think it's a good element to bring into the book and I really enjoyed that. Um, so where can people find your book? And I understand you have another book you wrote and you might even be working on a book. What, what's up with you? So what's up with me? Right. <laughs> trying to do, trying to do too many things is always up with me. Okay. So right now at this moment, I have a class I'm supposed to be teaching. Well, somebody's helping me out and covering, but this is like the story of my life. Really. It's like, can I, can, I, can I try to juggle more things and God knows which balls are falling and which ones are actually staying up in the air. But the book can be, you can Google it. It can be bought on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's pretty much everywhere. Um, 
I wrote another book called The Wednesday Group, which I didn't really realize until I really sat down and looked at this book in many ways has the same theme. It's about mm -hmm. a group of women yeah. who um, each is married to a sex addict and they carry around an enormous amount of shame and they meet in a small therapy group. And really it's their journey again of opening up and sort of ridding themselves of shame. So I, I seem to be on this kick of wanting everybody to get rid of their shame. And my next book, which I'm working on, is actually not going to be fiction. It's really about my journey with all these paranormal experiences. I'm not psychic. I'm not a medium, but I've been to many. I've, I've unfortunately <laughs> run into some pretty big frauds and some amazing people. Yeah. And yeah. it is also another journey of letting go of the shame around, like wanting to see a psychic. I mean, there was so much of that in my family that, you know, this was not allowed. This was again, a weakness, like you're weak if you go to, you know, see a psychic or a medium. And that it's so not true at all. I mean, the amount of the, the things I've learned and the, the help I've been given from some of these people is just, is just stunning. So yeah, I guess I'm all about getting rid of the shame. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with you, by the way, there are a lot of charlatans out there and there's a lot of people out there in all fields, not just the psychic realms right. who are just trying to take advantage of something. Right. So you will know when it is the real thing. I always tell people, people are like, Loretta, how do I know? I go, it's easy. You can tell by the quality of the information they give you and in the love that surrounds the way they give it to you. Right. So, Right. That's it. Right. You know, That's if they're right. trying to sensationalize you, walk away. Because right. it's not a circus act, right? Right. It, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not a circus act. So um, I just want to uh, give you big thumbs up, big hearts. I really mean that from the depth of my heart for you to have the courage to write this book and put it out there. I want to ask you a final question. What What would your grandmother think of this book? Um, I, I think that, and I think about that a lot. I think she would be very happy with it because I she think in the end, um, and we've discussed this in my family, in the end, you know, my brother was afraid I was gonna make her out to be some kind of witch. But in the end, I hope I described a person who's complicated, who went through trauma and, you know, that the family understands. Yeah, you very loves. much did that. You did that. So thank you so much. You can find out more about Sylvia at sylviatrue.com. And please get her book, Where Madness Lies, and read it. And happy Valentine's Day. Happy Chinese New Year. Happy New Moon. Be careful out there. <laughs> Keep loving on everybody. Thank you so much, Sylvia. It was a oh, true thank honor. thank you.